precise, what does it mean? Somebody raise your hand. Preeminent Dr. Dennis. Okay, <clears throat> most important. Now, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but preeminence means he's the only thing that's important. We, uh, uh, we think that we can have lots of things that are important and Jesus just be most important. But preeminence is a, is a concept about that, that, uh, actually focuses on idolatry. I'll show you what I mean. We can have a lot of gods in our life, but have Jesus as the, the most important God. Does that make sense? And that would be idolatry. So Jesus is not the most important out of all of our issues that we face. He's the only issue. And, and when we, when, when we understand that, that changes our view of Christianity. It changes our view of, of worship that, you know, it's, it's not about anything else except about Him. So the preeminence of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. You know, if He's all I need, then He's all I will ever need. And so the sufficiency of Christ and the purpose of Colossians is first of all to instruct us. To instruct us of the fact that we're in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, okay? So Colossians really puts the Christian into this, this concept of I'm in Christ. I'm not, I'm not in sin anymore. And I may be living in the world, but I'm, I'm really, this is, this is not my home, man. I'm just a passing through. And secondly, that the, the second purpose is to warn believers of the religious hustlers who are out there trying to bring believers who love God and who believe the Bible back under bondage. And uh, I've said it before, uh, a lot of uh, the, the Mormons and even Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they get brand new baby believers and um, uh, people who, who are tra- struggling with their Bible and maybe they're not very faithful to church or whatever, and then they get caught up in a cult uh, because the cult offers Bible studies, because the cult offers answers. And let me just tell you this, Colossians is, uh, Paul was trying to write the Colossians and warn them of the religious hustlers who are trying to bring believers into bondage. So as we, as I said, from chapter three on, there's some really great, and you'll hear a lot more amens from, from Eric, uh, uh, once we get to chapter three. So, but you know, honestly, like I said, if you're not amening now, then you really won't appreciate chapter three and chapter four because there is such, these are the foundations for the blessings of chapter three on. So by way of review, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all we need. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. How can we say that? Because in him dwelleth how much of the Godhead bodily? All the fullness of God is in Christ. So all that I need, he is all we need. Secondly, you are complete in Christ. Verse 10, it says, and ye are complete in him. So how many times does the devil make you feel like a failure? I mean, sometimes the devil doesn't even have to remind you. You're reminding yourself all the time, so stop it. But we are complete. We have nothing like to say, well, I don't have a wife. Well, I don't have uh, a job. Well, I don't have a house. Well, I don't. You can look at all of those things that you think are necessary for you to be complete, and you must stop and realize, in Christ I am complete. I have been made complete because of him. So you're complete in Jesus Christ. And, And let me say this. Unless you start to believe these things, unless these scriptures really don't, unless they become what you really believe, you'll you'll fall for anything. The devil, if he knows you don't believe that you're complete, he will constantly make you feel like a failure. And if you really don't think that Jesus is 
all you need, and he's all-sufficient, and he's preeminent, he's, he's all your focus, the devil will get you focused on everything else. I wonder if I need to do mo- yoga meditation. I wonder if I need to to uh, uh, go on a, a week-long retreat, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. So I'm going to talk about the devil will honor all of these things that you need to do to become more spiritual. If you don't realize the spiritual thing you already have. I don't want to get ahead of my message. I may just rush ahead. So how did God make us so free in Christ without religion, without personal morality, without all the theology and all our good works? How did he do that? Well, we said last week that Jesus did it all by himself. He, by himself, purged our sins. Secondly, we talked last week about how he spiritually circumcised you without hands. And just very briefly, uh, what we were talking about there was he he uh, separated your soul and your spirit from your flesh. So there are three parts to you. Your spirit was alive or dead from, from the time that you were conceived until the time you were born again. What was your spirit? It was dead in trespasses and sins. You could pray all day. And it did no good. It didn't bring you any closer to God. You could, you could be a good little boy, a good little girl, and, and, um, uh, uh, do all kinds of religious, um, genuflex and, and all things. And your spirit was dead. You could go through the motions, but it did no good for your eternity and for your soul. And, uh, but, but, so, so your soul, which is the real you, was trying to use a spirit that was dead. But your flesh was always and always will be doing one thing its own thing. All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's my flesh. That's my nature. My nature is to do my own thing. And so what God did was he separated your flesh, the dominance of your flesh, and the dominion of your flesh from your soul so that you could be married to a new one, to a new part of you, the spirit. So your soul and your spirit are now one when you die, that body goes where? To the grave. But your soul and your spirit go to be where? Go to heaven, to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm rushing, forgive me. <clears throat> but last week we learned that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he severed the dominion of your sinning flesh. Will your sin ever stop? Oh, sorry. Will your flesh ever stop sinning? Trick question. Yes. When it dies. <laughs> when, when we're, when we're gathered around your grave and we're singing and, and weeping and all that stuff, you will have stopped sinning. Amen. <laughs> but until then, you're going to battle it every day sometimes. So, but, uh, but that flesh no longer damns your soul. Hallelujah. Third. <clears throat> We're going to move now into the third. He freed you by hiding you in him. <laughs> he freed you by hiding you in him. <clears throat> so let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. I've said it this, he, he buried your soul in himself. Colossians 2, verse 12. says, we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, right off the bat, when you think of baptism, what do you think of? Somebody tell me. Gavin, what do you think? When I say, you're buried with him by baptism, what do you immediately think of? Water. Okay? That's how we are. We think if it says baptism, we think water. But let me ask you this. Verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised. Is that physical circumcision? 
No. <laughs> with the circumcision made without hands. So it's a, it's, we, we call it a spiritual circumcision. It is, it is just as real. It is just as literal, but it is not physical. So the circumcision there is spiritual. Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. Is that physical water or is it spiritual? It is a spiritual baptism wherein now you're risen with him. Hey, is my resurrection physical? No, everything that is being described here is in a spiritual dimension. Um, when I was growing up, we watched a, a thing as kids. It terrified us. I don't know why they put it on television uh, to scare kids, but we watched something called the Twilight Zone. And and I mean, you, <laughs> there's a guy out on the wing. <laughs> you remember that one? Oh my goodness! But there was another dimension. Well, there is. There's a there's demonic work out there at work, even though we don't see it. There's a, um, a spiritual warfare going on. There's a spiritual dimension where we are buried with Him in baptism and we're resurrected through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. So in verse 12. We're talking about being hidden in Christ. So, um, uh, my belief in the work of God took me out of myself, and took me out of my sin and put me in Christ. So, it's called immersing the believer in Christ. When we say that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, when did you get in Christ? When you got saved. Oh, well, I thought you had to get baptized. No. Baptism is never a requirement or a, a doorway to get into Christ. Water can't put you in there. Your pastor can't put you in there. Faith in the operation of God puts you in there. Does that make sense? Now, for some of you, this is easy. But for a lot of people, it's what separates them from cults in Christianity. Because there are cults who work so hard to get you to worry about, was I baptized right? Oh, did I get baptized three times? You know, there are some groups that, that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and they really think that all of these things actually are part of your salvation. Water baptism can't make you any more saved than anything else. So I need you to go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Acts 8, 36. Nope. I'm in 9. That's why. 8, 36. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, if baptism is what saves you, if that is what will get you into the kingdom of God, wow, it's a good question, isn't it? All right, I'm ready to get baptized. Uh, what's stopping me from getting baptized? And guess what all the new Bibles do at verse 37? They cut it out. In all the new Bibles, verse 37 is missing, and it jumps right down to verse 38. Read it with me. Start in verse 36. Read it quietly, and I'm going to read 36, skipping 37 and going to 38. As they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me, be, hinder me to be baptized? 
And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What's wrong with that story? There's no belief. There's no heart. There's no faith. It's just, okay, I'm ready to get baptized. And he says, great, let's stop. And put him in the water, brought him out, and it was done. Isn't that funny how all the new Bibles got rid of verse 37 to feed a cult? That all you got to do is want to be baptized, and that's enough to get you to heaven. Really? Let's read verse 37 now with new eyes. Verse 37 says this. It says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart. What does that mean? When you say with all your heart, what does that mean? Somebody raise your hand. Come on, come on. Okay, with, you, does it mean with all your mind? Do you fully understand everything about what you're doing? No. So that's why Philip doesn't say, do you understand the, the, the theological implications of what you're building? No. Yes, and that you believe it with all your heart, okay? And that is, that's where, okay, so I'm dangling off the side of a cliff on a root. I grabbed this thing, I went over the cliff, and I'm holding on to this root, and there's a voice up above me that says, take my hand. And I go, but if I let go of this root, I might fall. And the person on the other side says, no, I won't let you fall. Now, I can't see them. I hear a voice, and I see this hand come down, and I've got to let go of that, what I'm trusting, and with all my heart just say, I'll let go and I'll trust. And that's what Philip is saying. Only if you're willing to trust with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answers and says, I believe. With how much of his heart? I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And again, this is after the resurrection. He's saying, I believe that Jesus Christ had come and was born and lived and died. And I said, he, and he says, I believe he is. He's alive today. He is the living son of God. He believed in the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection right there in those words. And then he got baptized. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> I said 2. 1 Corinthians, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 13. Okay. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says this, For by one spirit, not by one church, but by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whose body? All right, now we're trying to we're trying to let the Bible tell us how to think here. I'm, these aren't these things aren't what you normally think about with church and with theology and stuff. But by one Spirit, are we all baptized into Christ, into His body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit? So I and you, how did Christ free us? How did He make us so free? Well, He put us in Himself. He put us in himself. So we were lost. We were separated from God. But because of faith, childlike faith in the work of God, our flesh, as we said, is now dead and buried with Christ in spiritual baptism. So what God did is we did Craig Ledbetter. And on the 15th of June, 1980, he put me in him. He said, I don't believe it. I didn't see it. 
No, but I believe it because I read it. And when I read in the Bible, I have one or two choices. Believe it or walk away. And I just believe it. I am in Christ. Go to Romans chapter 6. Actually, uh, uh, Ephesians 4 first. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 3, 4, and 5. I'll ask Brother Dan if he will read. Ephesians 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. Endeavor you keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope, in your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Oh. So, again, I'll ask Gavin, when you see the word baptism, what do you normally think? Okay, so this says there's how many baptisms, Brother Dan? One. Okay, so which was more important, getting into Christ or getting into water? Amen. (laughs) There's one baptism to worry about. Yes, there ought to be water baptism, but that has nothing to do with your spirituality. That has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Go to, we're in chapter 4. Go ahead, uh, uh, go to Romans chapter 6. Miss Kathy, do you read Romans chapter 6 and verse 4? Okay. Now, verse 4, is it's in the midst of verse 3 and verse 5, isn't it? That's kind of a trick question. (laughs) Again, Gavin, here's verse 4. We're buried with him by what kind of baptism? What do we immediately think of? Water. I'm going to get water out of him one of these days, amen? Can't get blood out of a turnip, but anyway. um, Water, but this is... What kind of baptism do you think, Gavin? What? (laughs) You've been hanging around with Kathy too long. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? We talked about that last week, but I'm now dead to, to the motions of sin that are in my flesh. How that I am dead to sin, how can I live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into water were baptized... I didn't read it right, did I? (sighs) Thank you. (laughs) So it is being in Christ, isn't it? You're baptized into Christ when? When you're born again. When you're saved. There is, like an onion, there's layer upon layer of truth to this thing. Um... Uh, let's keep, let's go. Knowing not that so many as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Verse 4 says we're into his burial. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death at salvation, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So my, my faith, now let me use these words. When you see the words there in Colossians, it says faith in the operation of God. There are, there are certain terms that we still use today. We call them a crane operator, don't we? We talk about a, a, a surgeon who's doing an operation. So when, I'm got, when I have faith in the operation of God, what am I, what am I trusting? 
I'm trusting in what he's doing. I'm trusting in, in, in the expertise of God, not in the ability of me. So, there's, there is, there is no water in Romans chapter 6. There is no water in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's no water in Ephesians chapter 4. It's all spiritual. And it is what, man, it secures us. Do you know, water baptism, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, while you're going there, I want to, I want to say this. By, by putting me in Christ, all of a sudden, everything that Christ is, is applied to me. Was he perfect? Yes or no? His perfection has been attributed to me, even though I didn't do anything to show perfection. His death, his burial, his resurrection as the Messiah and the Savior, all of that has now been applied to me because I'm in him. So, because he's resurrected, I am resurrected. What happens when my eyes close in death, Bill? Where? What happens to me when this heart stops, when this breath ceases, when this body grows cold? What happens to me? I'll be with the Lord. I'll be more alive than I've ever been before. I cannot die now. This flesh can. But the real me will be with Jesus. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I have been, I have been made alive, as we've, we've seen. Uh, and, and it, and it, I don't want to say that yet. But anyway, this, when I got put in here, I got forgiven of all trespasses because with, as far as God's concerned, they're all in the past. To him, but I want to go to where was the verse that I sent you? First Corinthians 15. Because I want to get to this picture here. First Corinthians 15. Uh, Dr. Gavin, chapter 15, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, please. <clears throat> Amen. So, Romans chapter 6, talking about buried with him, uh, dead with him, raised with him. All right, so we come to 1 Corinthians. You know what baptism is a picture of? It's not me. I'm not getting baptized to picture anything about me. I'm getting baptized to picture Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection, and that I'm trusting that. End of story. It's a picture of what Christ did for me. Amen. Now, I know many people say, well, that's where I began my Christian life. And I know what they mean. Hopefully, they mean that's where I put the old me behind me. And I'm now living for God. I hope that's what you mean. But technically, the moment you got saved, you got eternal life. The moment you got saved, you need to get baptized to tell everybody, this is the Savior I trusted who died and was buried and rose again. Does that make sense? All right. So, uh, next point. Go to Colossians now. Go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And Miss Mona, verse 13, please. For this cause, I 
No. No, no, no. Colossians 2.13. Did I tell you wrong? Uh, it was good, but I needed to go back there. <laughs> So he now took the circumcision and how I was I was I was attached to a dead thing. I was attached to something that was dying and it would carry me to hell, my flesh. It every sin that my my body ever did, every sin that my eyes ever looked at, every uh sinful word I ever spoke, every unclean thing I ever ate, whatever I did that was wrong affected my soul until I was born again. Then my flesh now is separated. I'm no longer dead in my sins, but verse 13 goes on and says, being dead and the uncircumcised flesh, he has quickened, what's another word for quickened? Made alive together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? I love that. All right, so he freed you by giving you a whole new life. Let's go to Romans 6 again. Go back to Romans 6. And we'll do in verse 4. Well, the whole point is, why would you continue in sin if you got this whole new life? Verse 4 says this, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we also should walk in what kind of life? In the newness, a a, a new life. For if we have been planted together, verse 5, in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is always from now on crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed one day, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So here's a great truth for you. If you ever, you go home tonight and you sit down and you watch something you know you shouldn't and you you give in to sin, who's to blame? Did the devil make you do it? You chose to do it. You don't have to give in to the dominion of sin anymore. It doesn't have dominion over you. You just want it. So, uh, let's keep going. Uh, verse 7, For he that is dead is free from sin. Would you agree with that? You put somebody in the grave, they're not going to sin anymore, right? But I'm already at that point. My flesh is dead as far as God's concerned. It has been separated from me. Yes, it sins, but I am free. And I don't have to sin now. Does it mean I won't sin? No, I still like to. Do you? Is there anybody else like me that still likes to do things that I know are wrong? You'll battle with it all your life. Verse 5, 8. For if we be dead with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him, knowing (coughs) that Christ being raised from the dead, (coughs) he dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin. Isn't that a good verse for a Catholic? He only died for sin once. It's done deal, amen? No more sacrificing a Christ. No more ringing the bell. No more breaking the host. He died unto sin once, but that in he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise now, if that is true, then reckon, you know Paul was a Texan, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed, dead truly unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your physical members, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members, your your body members, as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, which was over your body, you're under grace. All right, so he gave you a whole new life which gave you the freedom from sin. Is that powerful? I think when you start to get your head around it, you go, you know what? I have been made free. The illustration in Romans chapter 7, go back there, go to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Go to the right there, I was going left. Romans chapter 7, know ye not, brethren. Chapter 7, verse 1, know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth, for the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law. Now again, don't read into this about, well, does this have to do with only divorce? No, this is about the flesh and my soul. I'm going to show you. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, hallelujah, she is loose from the law of her husband. She can be free to be married again, it, can't she? As long as her husband's alive, she's not generally free to just jump ship and go marry someone else. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called a what? You can't marry two men at the same time. You'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, hallelujah, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of who? that ye should be married to who? To another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that, ye, that, he should, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Here's the point. Before I was saved, who was I married to? Married to me. I was married to the flesh. I was married to my lusts. I was married to my nature. And you know what my nature did? Damned me. Hurt me. My, na- my, my old nature was abusive. My old nature was selfish, didn't think of my benefit, only thought of its own satisfaction, its own pleasure. Do you understand? As an unsaved person, I wanted to be free from the lusts and from the desires of my flesh, but I I couldn't be because I'm bound to me. Amen? So there are many people who've never been born again, but they wish they could die. Why do they want to commit suicide? Why do they want to die? Because they want to be free from that old... Husband, are you with me? Is anybody catching this? They want to be free from that brute of, a, of an old husband who, who just is, is, is so oppressive and so possessive. I wish I could, if, if that, that old man would just die. And then you get born again and God kills him. <laughs> you don't have to. He cuts off and lets the flesh die as far as God's concerned so I can marry somebody else now. Who can I marry now? I can marry my spirit, which is sealed with the Holy Spirit. I now am married to a new man, Jesus Christ, in me. So there's a great illustration of I'm now not married to the old me. I'm married to a new me, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, good. Anyway, I'm racing. God put you to death legally, not literally, in the flesh when you got saved. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Patrick, Romans 8, 3. 
So what was wrong with me and the law? What was wrong with my flesh and my old nature? Because my, my, my flesh couldn't keep the law. I couldn't keep up with it. I couldn't measure up to it. So instead of God saying, well, you better live up to the law, He crucified me. Go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Bill, Galatians 2, 20. <clears throat> <clears throat> now, you only get this kind of stuff in a Bible-believing church. A lot of people end up going to counselors trying to get figure out why they struggle with sin or why they struggle with depression or why they want to kill themselves. Let me tell you, you learn these truths, you won't have a battle with depression like you normally do, and you won't want to kill yourself because you're already dead. <laughs> Bill, Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> it's in the New Testament. It's a, new, it's a joke. No, don't go to that far. It's too far. You were you were right near there with Colossians. If you go back before Colossians, <laughs> Galatians two twenty. It's before Colossians. Yes. Two twenty. No, by the faith. <laughs> so, I'm dead. As a matter of fact, I need you to go to Colossians. You're in Galatians. Everybody's confused. Kevin, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, 2, and 3. Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3, please. For your what? You're dead in your... Woo! Amen. The devil can't get at you. Amen. Amen. So God put you to death legally, not literally, in the flesh when you got saved. Again, before your new birth, your spirit was dead. You could talk all day to God and it couldn't get through to heaven. Um, but uh, your body was alive and your soul was alive. But your spirit was powerless, like a dead battery on a, on a phone that, that needed to be charged. And then God resurrected your spirit. And we are resurrected by the hand of God. He raised us alive forevermore. And that's why he says, if you are risen with Christ, I am. I was crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised from the dead with Christ, all in my spirit. Uh, and he freed me by giving me that new life. I no longer live under the dominion of the law that's going to damn me. I live under grace and under the, the, the relationship of God as my father and me as his adopted son. So, no human hands can be part of your salvation. That means there's no surgery that can go deep enough to fix you. There's no counselor who can go deep enough in the, in the, and far enough into the background of your history that can fix you. 
There's no prophet who can come along and lay hands on you. And there's no water or, or church that can baptize you into the state that Jesus Christ brought you with childlike faith. Every one of those things are cults and wrong if they claim to be able to get you closer to God. Jesus Christ is the way to God. Amen? End of story. Okay, why didn't you say that at the beginning? <laughs> Now, real brief, real brief. What are the results that God did through Christ? Go back to Colossians chapter 2. He says this. We've already talked about the resurrection there. Uh, Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, where also now you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So real quick, Jesus Christ made you alive. And you know, I, I was talking to Eric and talking about uh, just before we started church and stuff, but it's a real grief to me that some people don't appreciate church. They don't love church, don't love singing, they don't love God's people. And I go, you know, it's impossible that somebody who's born again, that they're not changed, that their appetites haven't changed. That their desire, not that they're perfect, not that they stop sinning, and not that they, they don't struggle with stuff, but you know, there's just something that says, boy, these are my people. That these are songs of heaven I want to sing. You know, in the first century, second century, third century, they sang in, in, in catacombs. They sang without instruments. And they sang with joy. And when they, when in the third and fourth century, they were finally allowed to be free, they sang in crowds of thousands where they used to be thrown into the, the, um, the Colosseum. They now gathered in the thousands and they sang and it turned the, the world upside down until the Dark Ages came along. You know, if Christ has made you alive, it'll show. Let me ask you this. If, if you ever actually are in a, in a, in a, in a casket and you sat up <laughs> and started to talk, you tell me if you had that second chance after you've died, to be able to go back and hug your family and and get a second chance to live, would you live differently? Well, you've been given a second chance. The moment you got born again, you got given a second life. Shouldn't you be living it different? He made you alive. Secondly, he forgave how many trespasses? All trespasses. Because as far as God, how can he forgive everything that's in the future? Because to God, it's in the past. Everything is paid for. He blotted out the handwriting words. I love this. Go to, still in chapter 2, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing to the cross. Hold that thought there. I want you to think about the kind of sins that we battle with. I just came up, I got a little list here I'll go through. Tell me if this hits anybody here. Mental sins. You ready? Arrogance. Is that a sin? Fear. Worry. Anger. Guilt. Bitterness, hate, judging, revenge, implacability, jealousy, uh, sexual lust, um, approbation lust, that's a different kind of lust, or powerful, power lust, lust for power, money lust, insolence, imp- uh, impatience. That's not a sin, is it? Impatience? <laughs> yes, it is. Prejudice, self-pity, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, envy, selfishness, ingratitude, disrespectfulness, hypersensitivity stubbornness, irresponsibility, thoughtlessness. Well, they just don't even think of me. All right, those are called mental sins. How about these? Sins of the tongue. 
gossiping, lying, blasphemy, perjury, maligning, talking bad about somebody, boasting, criticism, ridiculing, sarcasm, cursing, interrupting. I never do that, do I? (coughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) Whining. (laughs) Flattery. Complaining. Anyway. (laughs) We're having fun. Arguing. (laughs) Excuse making. Boy, this is, let's move on to the next one. (laughs) How about the overt sins? The ones we all know about, like murder, stealing, disobedience, adultery, rape, fornication, incense, bestiality, homosexuality, pedastry, voyeurism, necrophilia, drunkenness, trespassing, cheating, cowardice, snooping, drug abuse, child abuse, extortion, treason, revenge, gluttony, Those are sins. And you know what God did? He blotted them out. Because that's on our record. And God can't just say, oh, don't worry about it. He had to somehow destroy the record. Now, he blotted it out, and then he did something even more marvelous. He hung it on a cross. And he made Jesus pay for the sins of Craig Ledbetter. So I want you to see that verse again. Colossians chapter 2, it says, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. I mean, it was just going to send us to hell, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way. What does that mean? So between me and God, there was something stopping me. What was it? My sin. And he took it out of the way so now I can walk up to the very throne of God and call him Abba. Father. Took it out of the way. Nailed it to the cross. Is that good? I mean, wow. All our enemies, now, I could go for an hour on this point because in that day, the the, the Romans loved to have a victory uh, show like, you know, like North Korea where they show off all of their military. Uh, when they When they conquered a nation, it says, verse 15, it says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, what are those things? It's a principality and power. Yes, these are spiritual powers. And Jesus spoiled those. He robbed them of their victory. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When did he do that? On the cross. When he cried out, it is finished. You know what he was doing? He was going, he was saying, they're done. They're out of here. Or as Trump said, you're fired. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. Anyway, uh, all our enemies have been victoriously robbed and spoiled of the victory instead of us constantly losing the victory. Um, and and I, I love it. Jesus made fools of all our enemies. He, uh, when, 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 uh, when he died on that cross to the world, they looked like he was a failure. But what was Jesus? He was the greatest success story of all time. Greatest victory knocked out of the ring was the devil. <clears throat> now that brings me to a point. Go to uh, go to Revelation twelve ten. Revelation twelve ten. Let's see. Kevin, did you read right? Um, okay, so Eric, Revelation twelve ten. And if you can't find that, Eric, we're really in trouble. <clears throat>
All right. You know, honestly, as far as our Christian life is concerned, the devil pretty well wins anytime he wants to. Until I remember, he's already lost. <laughs> he is a loser. He doesn't belong, like I was saying this morning, he doesn't belong in my life. He has no right over me. Any right that he takes, I gave him. And i got to stop that. Um, Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 31, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, as if to say again, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So you can believe, according to Colossians, that the demons are defeated. And um, uh, honestly, why does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, he says, uh, but God forbid that I should glory, that I should get excited, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he be so excited about the cross? Because at the cross, he says, uh, the world is crucified unto me, it died to me, and I died to it. We just don't have anything to do with each other. I glory in a risen Savior. The demons are defeated, the world is defeated, and our guilty conscience is defeated. Go to Romans chapter 8. And let's see. Nicola, Romans 8, verse 33 and 34. All right, so the who there is, if somebody tries to lay a charge to you, you ever hear that, where you go before the court? What's the charge? The charge is, what are you guilty of? Well, who's going to try to charge me with the guilt? Devil will. And guess what? You can't bring a charge against God's elect now. Why? Because God has justified me. I don't justify myself. I have been forgiven so the devil comes along and he's accuser of the brethren and he's thrown out of court. The case is closed because I have been pardoned. That's the reality of our Christianity. My guilty conscience, every once in a while, the devil tries to bring up something from my past or tries to show me that I'm a failure. You know what I can remind the devil? I am forgiven. I have been made right. What was wrong, Jesus Christ paid for and he made it right. God didn't wink at it and go, you know, let better, you know, I'll let that slide. No, somebody had to pay, and he personally paid for it. So when I deal with guilt, I, I, I have to deal with it very quickly and say, no, 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 my guilt is defeated. Even my guiltiness. So I have to stop. <clears throat> I have to stop. Uh, you, therefore, are totally, 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 absolutely, completely saved. That's what God did for a wretch like me. Any questions? Any questions? I know you all want to go home. Father, in just a moment, we're going to sing. But we want to just stop for a minute, and we want to thank you for doing all this. You could have just left us with John 3.16, and it's enough. 
But then you took the time to explain all the layers so that there's no question about whether we have to live it, whether we have to keep ourselves from the unpardonable sin, whether we got to be baptized right after in order to get saved, whether we've got to be... Um, uh, Keep, keep the law or keep the Sabbath. We gotta uh, do all these things. Do, 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 or is it done? And I'm glad that it's done. I'm glad that, that all the things that happened on the cross were able to span all of time and affect all people by faith. And Lord, if there's anything the devil's trying to discourage in this day and age with all of Google, and with all of the internet, with all of science, this world is trying to rob us of our faith, trying to rob us of our ability to sit back and just laugh and smile and rejoice in what Jesus did. Just And we just believe it. We don't, we don't fully understand it. As we delve into the depths of this stuff, we, 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 we just shout and go, hallelujah. I guess I'm just saved. Yeah, the devil can point his bony finger and point out another failure in my life. But I know it's under the blood. <clears throat> and I'm just glad when, when my flesh gives in to sin, it's wrong, it's wicked, and I, in the flesh I will reap, but my soul will never lose, lose my life. It will never go to hell now. So, Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in that. We'd sit back and stop worrying about all the dots and strokes and tittles and all the perfection that we think we have to be and realize Jesus already is perfect and that's all we need. So bless us, Lord, as your people this week. Don't let the devil, the accuser of the brethren, brethren have any foothold in our hearts anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.